scripture reading this morning is out of Psalm 110, which I absolutely love that in my time with God this morning, uh, I've been going through the Psalms, reading two Psalms a day, and uh, <laughs> this, this morning's reading was Psalm 110. Gotta love it when God does that. Psalm 110, starting in verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the word of God. You may be seated. Thank you, music team, for the music this morning. It was wonderful to have my heart prepared for this time and that. And, and just to pick on some dear friends of mine, Curtis and Colleen, it is a blessing to have you back up there. Amen. Oh, if you don't have your Bibles open, we want your Bibles open. It's a really, really, really big deal for us. It's so either on an, on an app or on your lap. Don't care if you've got it on your phone or on a tablet. Just no playing Minecraft. <laughs> or anything like that while your phone or app's open, okay? Um, but open up the Bible. Um, and it's, if you got, don't have your Bible, we have a grabbing for a pew Bible. It's on page 1003, where we're going to be diving into this morning, page 1003. We're going to be looking at Psalm, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 5, verse 10. And I'm going to do something this morning. I'm going to kind of switch things up. And we're actually going to start with chapter 5, verses 1 through 10 first. And then dive in into verses 14 and 15 in chapter 4. Because what the author does here, he talks about Jesus being the high priest. And then he dives into giving the example of how Jesus was that perfect high priest. So we're going to talk about Jesus first being this perfect example. And then dive into the intricacies. Tomorrow, I'm wearing my, my University of Idaho Vandal shirt. I did not go to U of I, but my son, eldest son, Ethan, is going to U of I. He starts back to classes tomorrow. And I was thinking about, um, it's very interesting how much time and education we, 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 we receive and, and also job trades and all these other things. But, you know, Ethan hopefully is going to school, start back his junior year of school, and he's going to be learning his electrical engineering classes. He's in his last two years, so he's going to really be diving deep into that stuff. And we as parents, when we send our kids off to college, it's with the hope that they're going to learn the material, take that material, and then go out and get a J-O-B, right? <laughs> And, and, and then apply that knowledge, right? And take what they've learned and beginning to apply it. Elijah is convinced Algebra 2 will never have anything applicable in his life. We'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if I'll get that phone call. And, and, and yes, we have a second over here. But hopefully they'll go and they'll apply this knowledge. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we gather together on a Sunday morning and we learn about the Word of God and we dive into the text. But I want to warn you, like, if we don't apply 
what we're learning, it's useless information. Because all it does is just gives us a big head. Well, I know this about God. I know that's about this. Or I know this outline of Hebrews. Or I know this. Like, and it doesn't do us any good. God gave us his word so that we might apply it to our lives. And our lives get radically changed by God. And, and, and what does that look like? It means that God is coming to reign fully and completely in our hearts and lives. And that we surrender everything that we have to him. The more we learn about God the greater we learn how far we are from God and how desperate we are in need of him. So Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins, just as he does for the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. And I want to give you a little bit of background here. For those of you who grew up in church, you may know what's being talked about here, but for other people, what being referenced here is called the Day of Atonement. And this was an annual thing that happened in Israel's, okay? And, and, and once a year, the high priest, the high priest that was selected from among the people, from the line of Aaron, would go into the most holy of holies. And he'd bring in, and at first he would have to offer sacrifices on behalf of himself because the priest was sinner. The, the, the priest had sinned against God and had messed up. And so he had to offer sacrifices on behalf of himself. Him get cleansed, purified. And then he would take blood in to pour over the Bema seat, over the, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was in the Holy of Holies. And it would wash down over. And this was to represent this, this need for God to forgive Israel of their sins. Now, one thing that's important for you to realize is that on the Day of Atonement was never meant to be a complete act that would forever wash away the sins of the Israelite people. How do we know this? It had to happen every single year. But it pointed towards something greater. Yes? Doesn't it still happen? No, it doesn't happen because the temple was destroyed. Uh, you got information, Glenn, go for it. I think they're, because they still have the Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And they can't do what they would do. They would not sacrifice, there wouldn't be the high priest. There's not, there's not a single appointed high priest for, still, in their mind. They still think about it. Yes. They still think about it and contemplate it, but that's okay. <laughs> but uh, so, the Israelite people did this year after year after year. But it was pointing towards something greater. Something to become a high priest that was needed that where the high priest that followed Aaron and his lineage failed. And so we're going to see the need for this and Jesus being the absolute perfect high priest. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed to him, who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. 
Now it was very interesting. These priests would, the priest in the Old Testament would have been chosen from amongst the people of the line of Aaron to represent the people before God as the high priest. So that's how he was selected. That was the elected from among the people. But there was need a priest that would be not selected by sinful people, but be selected by God. And so Jesus is in complete agreement with the sacrificial system that was put back in place in the Old Testament. Jesus' selection to be the high priest isn't in violation, but actually in fulfillment of what God had intended in the first place. And so Jesus is the perfect high priest chosen by God himself. After the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? Great question. We'll answer that next week. Okay, great. Um, Because, you know, Hebrews is going to dive into that next week. And so we're going to answer that. So so write that down. Who is Melchizedek? And we're going to dive into that next week. We'll arm wrestle over whether whether it was God in a a um, pre-picture of God coming down. We'll dive into all of that. Okay? But he is after the order of Melchizedek, which is a different order. Aaron's a bunch of sinners, a bunch of priests that would have to... The order of Melchizedek is a priest that will be established and reign and be forever. We also discover, as we continue reading in this text, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. So we see that there was a greater appointment for Jesus Christ. We see there was a greater lineage in Jesus Christ as the high priest. We also see in Jesus Christ that there was a greater faithfulness. You see... There were problems with the Arianic priesthood. There were some really wicked and evil priests that came along during that time. And there were some individuals that would eat meat that was supposed to be set aside for God. There were individuals who would steal things from the Holy of Holies in the temple. There were some people that that were acted in disobedience to God. There was a need for a high priest that would be completely faithful. And we see that in the Gospel of John. As the Gospel of John over and over again speaks of how Jesus perfectly, perfectly obeyed the will of the Father. Jesus left nothing undone. How many of you have kids? Raise your hands. It's okay. Don't you wish like your kids would perfectly not leave anything undone. Like, when they do their chores, and I'm not just going to pick up my kids, I think this applies to all kids. It applied to me as a kid when I was a kid. Like, mom and dad having to come behind me and checking my chores to make sure I did them completely. Did did you you clean the toilet? Yeah, I ran the toilet brush in there. Did you wipe around the outside of the toilet? That's gross. No. Like, well, that's part of cleaning the toilet, right? And, and Jesus didn't leave anything undone. When God said, I want you to do this, and I want you to be this, and I want you to walk this way, even though Jesus suffered and was tempted, 
And his temptation was real. His temptation, I mean, he was 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. You don't think he wanted to take the bread that was offered to him? Yeah, he did. He was hungry. But instead he turns to the bread that gives nourishment, the word of God. And he rebuts Satan. You don't think he wanted to bow down? You're like, oh, that wasn't really a challenge for Jesus. Are you kidding? He wanted it over. Amen. He would have been tired. He'd have been weak and weary. Just for him to stand and not bow had to have taken great energy. He was fully God, fully man. His temptation was real. Amen. Yet he did it without sin. Yes. Perfectly. He was faithful in everything. He was without sin. He's also the greater sacrifice. Did an animal have a choice in laying down its life? No. It was taken amongst the flock, a spotless sheep of a certain age, taken before and sacrificed on an altar. Jesus Christ knows full well what is to take place. And he obediently obeys the Father to become the sacrifice that we absolutely needed. You see, there, Hebrews says this twice. There can be no forgiveness without shedding of blood. None. There's no forgiveness of sin. Sin cannot be dealt with. There's no, I mean, I had a sergeant major in the army. And he, he, he was a rough around the edges sergeant major. And I, to be honest with you, I was enlisted before as a chaplain. And so sergeant majors always scared me a little bit. Okay. And I remember him and I getting into it. And he was like angry with me. Because I was telling him, he said, there is this teeter-totter in heaven. And I got my bad deeds over here. And I got my good deeds over here. And my good deeds, as long as at the end of my life, I have somehow balanced out that scale. And I was like, Sergeant Major, what balance is what? So if you take the Lord's name in vain, what balances that out? If you like yell at a soldier, what balances that out? If you give a bad command and people die, please tell me what balances that out? And he got angry with me. And we got into it. And we, we parted ways that day and I don't think we were friends. But it was very interesting because you don't talk to a sergeant major without other people with ears being around. You see, the only way for sin to be wiped away is by a perfect sacrifice, a willing sacrifice. That is why it was necessary for Jesus to be fully God, fully man. And that's super important for you to realize, brothers and sisters, because religions, other religions in this world, say he's a God, but not the God. And he had to be the God for our sins to be completely wiped away. He was the perfect sacrifice. No high priest had ever brought a sacrifice like Jesus. So was Jesus not only the perfect high priest, he was also the perfect sacrifice brought by the perfect high priest. He's also 
the greater salvation. He's eternal and we never need another. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered and he be, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being destined by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now I want to just briefly touch on something here that is mentioned and that may puzzle you. If Jesus was perfect, lacking nothing, and, and, and fully God, fully man, then why does the text here say that through his obedience he was perfected? Well, doesn't that mean he was lacking something? What is being described here is obedience. You know, until Jesus walked and did exactly what the Father had willed for him, had commanded him to do, then it wasn't complete. The, the, the salvation wasn't complete. Jesus had to physically come down, become fully God, fully man, and obey God. And in his obedience, things were completed. Things were made perfect so that we can have eternal life in him. And hopefully that begins to answer your question. If not, I'd love to dialogue with you more about this week. Give me a call, shoot me an email. Um, would love to talk more about that. So now I want you to turn back with me to, to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Now last week we talked about entering into God's rest. Which I think is just such a beautiful thing for us to know. That even now, in the midst of hearing we got dear brothers and sisters experiencing sepsis, cancer treatments, um, surgeries. Uh, you know, one of our dear sisters this week, Jeannie Steiner, w was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, in light of all of these things, like God knew all these things were going to go on. These were going on back in his day too. And he says, you can know God's rest now. As we surrender our lives to Jesus and our identity, we become more and more identified in him. We experience God's rest even in the midst of turmoil because this life is not our home and we're living for the life that is yet to come. And so he says, since then, you have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to the confession of faith. When Jesus ascended into heaven, when he went up in front of his disciples, the text, the Bible, over and over replete, is, <laughs> tells us, and if, if you're wondering how many times it tells us, Psalm 110.1, and I'm just beginning here. There's a lot more references than this. Psalm 110.1, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. In Matthew 26.64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you, hand of power, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. In Acts 5.31, and God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Romans 8.34, who is, to, who is to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Ephesians 1.20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Why is this so important for us to know that it is repeated over and over and over and over in Scripture. Why do we need to know where Jesus is at? He's not dead. He's, not dead. He's alive. Amen. We're going to be with him in heaven, worshiping him as he's seated on his throne. When it says he is sat down, now there's, there's one place in Scripture where it talks about him standing, and I find this very interesting. When Stephen looks up in the heavens. It says Jesus is standing there, ready to receive him home. But Jesus' posture is seated on the throne. Why? Because the salvation work of God is complete. It is lacking nothing. It's complete. His life, death, burial, and resurrection, the work is complete. That is so significant for us because seated, no longer running around in the temple, no longer offering more sacrifices, no longer doing these things. He is seated because the work is complete. For those who are in Christ Jesus, our high priest has done the work on our behalf. We are forgiven. But we have this high priest who continues to intercede on our behalf. Because guess what? Even though positionally before God, you're forgiven. Your sins are wiped clean. Do we act like that? No. Like, our thoughts. I mean, even right now, some of you are like, like thinking unkind thoughts about someone in your family that you had a struggle with this morning, right? And you're like, maybe some of you, your minds are, are wandering to other places. Man, I'd really like to, to have that car. I really wish I had that job. Or I really wish, you know, you know, like, and all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're coveting here this morning. And maybe you have a jealousy in your heart this morning. Maybe you've got anger or bitterness. Thank Jesus. He's not taking any days off. Because as that junk comes up before the Father, as our sin and our brokenness and our ugliness continues to come up before the Father as a stench, Jesus, it's just like standing there or sitting there and he says, that's under the blood. And so what that means is that means that we never, have a, we never, you ha, never need to have a break in relationship with the Almighty Father. That's our high priest. That's why it's so significant that he is seated at the right hand of God. Because as our stuff comes up, Jesus says, under the blood. Under the blood. You can't take yourself out from under the blood. And I know there are different schools of thought. In regards to our, the, our salvation, whether it's permanent, we can lose it. For me, that argument rests on Jesus' blood. And who he is and his character. I am not greater than him. He has called me Amen. his child. And so I remain under the blood. Now guess what? I can have break in fellowship with my God. 
I think the best example, I use it over and over again, that I give is that if you have a child and your child sins and does something wrong and is disobedient, until that child repents of that and confesses of that to you, there is a hindrance in your relationship with that child. Isn't there? Until there's forgiveness, until they like confess it, like I was wrong, what I did was wrong, until they stop justifying it. And it breaks our hearts to watch our kids justify their sin and, and sit there and say, but, 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 but I did, but I did. And, it, and it just hurts so much. Like just confess and we can like hug and we can be past this yuckiness. But that child never stops being our child. I had two beautiful, wonderful adopted daughters from China. They have the same rights as a Morris child that my birth sons do. Amen. For we are all adopted children into the family of God. And according to scriptures, we have this, this is so mind-blowing, we have the same rights, the same inheritance, As Jesus Christ co-heirs with Christ. He's the only legitimate son. He's the only one. And we're co-heirs with Christ. That's just mind-blowing to think about. And so we should be quick to repent. We should be quick to confess and, and say, God, I've sinned and I don't want to justify my sin. It's ugly. It's gross. And when we do so, 1 John 1, 9 says, that when we are faithful to confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is the great high priest. But what's so amazing about our Jesus, and, and so the result, I mean, before I move on, I want to say, the, so what's the result? If we believe he's the great high priest, we cling to it. We hold fast. We persevere to that truth. We cling to it. We hold fast to that confession. We don't lose it. We don't lose sight of it. We have this great high priest who continues to intercede on my behalf. And I'll never stop looking to him as my high priest. And I want to hold on to that truth. And I want to tell people about that truth. And no matter what my day holds, no matter what my future holds, I'm clinging to this truth. I'm holding fast. I will persevere. That's what it looks like to believe that truth. As perseverance. Not only do we have a great high priest, we have a sympathetic high priest. And I'm so forgetting to forward my slide, so you all just, you know. Verse 15. Let us then with confidence draw near. I'm actually going to move back up. Yeah, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I want to read a quote from you from Charles Spurgeon, who is a really famous preacher. And I think this quote is helpful because in our minds we have some bad theology. And I'd like to break up some bad theology this morning. That, that somehow we think that Jesus could not be fully sympathetic to us because he never sinned. 
Like, the only person that can really, truly be sympathetic is another sinner. And I would like to read this quote from Spurgeon, because I think it shines some light on this. Do not imagine that if the Lord Jesus had sinned, he would have been more any more tender toward you. For sin is always of a hardening nature. If the Christ of God could have sinned, he would have lost the perfection of his sympathetic nature. It needs perfectness of heart to lay self all aside and to be touched with a feeling of the infirmities of others. So what is he saying? He's saying that because Jesus was perfect, without sin, he is able to be perfectly sympathetic to us because Jesus never says of our sin it's okay. He knows what it is to go through weakness. He knows what it is to go suffering. You don't think Jesus lost loved ones? Absolutely he did. You don't think he saw people get sick and die? People that he didn't heal? People that he didn't raise from the dead? You don't think Jesus saw people be disobedient and stab him in the back and go through harsh things? He grew up as a normal kid. There were kids that betrayed him. There were kids that talked bad about him. He went through the teenage years. All the trials and angst of being a teenager and all that time, Jesus went through it. You don't think he knows? He just didn't sin. He just didn't rebel against God. And so he is the perfect person for us because he says, I know you're weak. Just don't sin. Just lean into me. Let me be your strength. I know you're hurting. You've lost a loved one. That stinks and the effects of sin are horrific. And I know what that's like. I've done that. I've been there. But just don't rebel against me and get angry and bitter towards me. Because I'm the thing that can lift you out of that. I'm the one thing that can heal your heart. You see, we have the perfect high priest, the sympathetic high priest seated right next to the throne of God. And he intercedes on our behalf as that wonderful sympathetic high priest. That's how he can say this next part. He goes on to say, let us then with confidence. How? How are we supposed to do this? With what? Confidence. Confidence. Let us therefore with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. That sounds a lot like rest to me, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but I need Jesus like a lot. Jesus is saying because I am this this sympathetic high priest, who who knows what you're going through, you can come in any time you want, child. My door is always open to you. 
I won't ever be absent. I won't ever just dismiss you. I won't ever speak flippantly towards you. I won't ever disregard what you're going through. I want you to come into my throne room. I want you to draw near. I want you to experience mercy and grace. And the truest and the most perfect of forms. For I am your great high priest. I love you. I laid down my life for you, Jesus says to us. And he asked us to draw in and to experience that moment with him. And I can't, I mean, I was, I was trying to envision that this week. Uh, the word, the, the song came to my, if I can only imagine. I'm like, that doesn't even compare. Like, uh, to my knees while I fall. Like, yeah, I'll be like fat, flat-faced before God. I mean, drawing near to God. But God says, come into my throne and find grace. Come in and experience my love and my compassion and my mercy. And know me like that. Know me as the compassionate high priest. He loves us. But there's a problem. One of the problems that we have in entering into this throne room and seeing this wonderful grace is that we still believe that somehow our sin is not a problem. And I've heard it said in Christian circles. That somehow, because of my sin, God can use me more. Because I have looked at pornography, because I've involved myself with, with gambling or, or been in debt up to my eyeballs, or because I've cheated on my wife, or I've cheated on my husband, because, because I've done these things in my past, God can use me more. Let me, let me help you understand something. Sin is always sin, and it's always wrong. And it always needs the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing, the only reason we can have any benefit, any spiritual goodness, is because Jesus redeems. It's his redemption that is good. It's his restoration that is perfect. It is his, rest, his, his work in our lives that delivers us. Our sin is garbage. And until we recognize fully that our sin it brings of no spiritual benefit whatsoever, we create a hindrance to enter into the throne room of God. Because God says, I, I died on the cross. Jesus says, I died on the cross to break those chains and set you free from that so that you look upon your sin as what it is, gross, disgusting, and from the pit of hell. But what I offer is hope, forgiveness, redemption, restoration. That's spiritually good. Leave that. Pursue this. And enter the throne room of God underneath God's grace. Do we view sin like that? Or do we still somehow think somehow sin benefits us? And, and if you're wondering this morning if you're a sinner, the answer is just go like this. Okay? All of us. Scripture tells us we're all sinners. 
The question is, is your sin keeping you from entering into this beautiful throne room of mercy, grace, and rest? For when he speaks of rest, he gives us such a beautiful picture of what that looks like. For us to call sin, sin, and repent of it, not justify it, not give excuses for it, but just to say it's wrong. And God says, hey, I am going to be faithful to forgive you. Just confess that stuff and enter in. And I'll strengthen your weak knees. And Hebrews 12 is going to talk about your knees and our hands getting strong. He'll strengthen us. Where are you at this morning? What's your view of sin? You see, we have this great high priest who's, who's done what's necessary for that to be washed away so we can be set free from it. But are we setting ourselves, are we releasing that? Are we letting go of that and saying, I don't want that to be any part of our lives anymore? And maybe some of you need help this morning in getting through this. There, there are some sins that we can pray and ask God's forgiveness for and and we can notice that, you know, like we can change from that. But there are other sins that are more habitual, that, that, that sink us in deeper, and we need help getting out of them. And that's why James says to confess your sins one to another. It's okay. I have a wonderful group of believers who journey with me in this life who've had to deal with me confessing some pretty ugly stuff to them. And they've journeyed with me and they've walked with me so that I can enter into the throne room of God and enjoy that rest in him. But I'm telling you this morning, until you lay that sin aside, that anger, that bitterness, that whatever that is holding you down this morning, you won't know the rest of God. You'll be out fighting with God. God's saying, I want to give you rest. I want to give you rest. I want to take that from you. I want you to be able to enter the throne room of God and just feel and know how good I am to you. What are you going to let it go? What are you going to release it and let me just heal you and restore you and redeem you because that's what's good. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this beautiful picture of our Savior. That we have this great high priest who's done things and we get to hold fast to the truth of who he is and what he's done. And we know that changes our hearts and lives because today we can confess and we can repent. And Jesus doesn't sit there and say, why haven't you gotten it yet? No, you've, you've gone over your limit today. You've gone over your limit this year. You've gone over your limit this moment. He says, come and find forgiveness. Come and discover mercy and grace. Not that we deserve it, but it's freely given. Continually flows from the throne of God. Humble our hearts today, God. If we think in any way we have earned this, may you humble our hearts and remind us of the depth of our sin. 
and remind us the beauty of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Um, our Jesus is alive, right? Amen. Amen. Um, and uh, we like to tell stories to one another about what he's done for us, and this is the time that we enter into our God stories. And since I've got the microphone, I want to tell one of myself. So it's been a year since I've done this. But anyway, back when I was working a long, long time ago, I uh, was sitting in my office one afternoon, and um, the phone rang. I didn't often answer the phone. I always let somebody else do it. But for some reason, I answered this phone call. And uh, a lady talked to me, and she was quite concerned about her father, who was supposed to be camping in the park. And uh, as we talked, I went, okay, well, I'll, I'll go down and talk to him and see what's going on, see what I can do for the guy. And for some reason, after I got done talking with her, I just called an ambulance and, and said, hey, I'm going down. I've got somebody that uh, looks like maybe he's got uh, some stroke symptoms or something, and, and I'm going to uh, look at him, but uh, I want you there. So I went down and uh, found this guy in his campsite. And I started talking to him. He was kind of erratic, wasn't uh, doing real well. And pretty soon the ambulance showed up. We got him in the ambulance, closed the doors, everybody took off, and they went off to the hospital. Um, and uh, that part ended. But as I walked away from his campsite, it was one of these days like it is now when you know, thunderstorms are expected almost any time. And it started to rain. It, actually, I walked away from the campsite and stopped, started to talk to somebody. It started to rain. And it started raining really bad. And I, and I stopped talking to them, ran to my, uh, register, or to my office. And I barely get to my office and somebody's there pounding on my door going, well, there's a tree falling in the park. And uh, I go, okay. So I turn around and go back. It ends up that this man that I had... Uh, for some reason, been prompted to call an ambulance before I went to see him. Uh, this uh, really nice, good-sized grand fur had fallen in the campground, and guess what? Right smack across his motorhome, and uh, just kind of flattened. It was really cool, but uh, the point was is that it it smashed the bed where he had been laying. It had been laying there, he would have been crushed. And not only that, but um, it was in the campsite fully, and if I hadn't called that ambulance before I went. It would have caught me and the EMTs in his campsite with him. And that's just one way that God had used me. God didn't, well, God did do something for me, but God used me to save that man and, and protect the EMTs that day by that, that one little thought that, well, maybe I should call first before I go down there. So that's my God story, and I know there's a whole lot better out here. Mackenzie, what you got for us? So a couple years ago, um, my husband's brother gave us a really nice um, 2005 Pontiac Grand Am. And the other day, um, the 2005 Pontiac Grand Am showed its age. We were over by the museum, and um, the brakes stopped. The brakes went out. We were in, in. We were coming towards the. Um, what was it? It stopped. Four-way stop. We almost um, rear-ended a vehicle. 
Um, fortunately, my husband is a mechanic, and um, God is amazing. We were able to um, stop the car and not hit the vehicle, as well as get the vehicle over to Kelly's and not hit anybody else. So, yeah, that was a pretty good So God kept you from an accident, and you have a car for sale? <laughs> well, I hope this is a God story. If nothing else, it's kind of an update on my wife. She's been in the hospital now since October 23rd, 2017. She has Alzheimer's along with other problems. First part of the week, I received a call that... They couldn't get her awake. She's not eating, and I thought, oh, this is approaching the end. So with apprehension, I headed down there to the, on the bus, as I always do, in case I get so tired I can take a nap. In fact, this procedure I'm going through leaves me exhausted a lot, and so I don't participate in a lot of other social events other than church. I get down there, and sure enough, she is asleep. The nursing staff, this is Tuesday, they even get her up out of the bed in a sling, put her in the shower chair, take her down the hallway, shower her, bring her back, put her in the bed. She's still asleep. So noontime comes, and I says, great, what am I going to do? They bring her a tray, and so I says, well, I'll try it. I took a spoonful of her food and put it up her mouth and said, Honey, would you like to eat? Her eyes opened up. She opened her mouth. I was able to feed her her entire lunch meal. I thought, Thank you, dear Lord. Shortly after that, she went back to sleep again. But she's been getting better throughout the uh, week. Um, if you have a love partner here, married partner, whatever, stay close to them. You don't know how much time you have, whether you have days, weeks, months, hopefully years. I spend as much time as I can with Karen. And I appreciate all your prayers. I even found out that my bus driver is a Christian. Amen. He's been praying for me too. <laughs> On another note, I want to give a plug for Chelan Valley Hope. Every Monday, I have received I receive a, a visit from uh, a dear lady with their TLC group, and she has encouraged me, since I'm living alone now, and nobody to check on me, to start this what I call my dawn security plan. Every evening, about a certain time, I text my daughter, just maybe one word: "I'm okay." If my daughter receives that, no problem. If after a period of time she doesn't, she tries to get a hold of me. If for some reason she can't, she has a list of people to call. My neighbor across the street, Luke and Tabitha now, across the street, Kathy Iyer and or Jackie Craw to go check on me. So if any of you are living by yourself and don't want to check on, you might consider something like that. Roseanne. Um, you know how you kind of get in those routines of thinking things just kind of happen in your life? Well, I don't know if you guys do, but I do. And yesterday, 
Uh, there's a group of us ladies that have um, taken on meals to the Wilmots since they returned. And yesterday was my turn to take um, dinner up there. So I uh, called Nancy to see when and stuff like that. So I, we went up, and so I went up, took her dinner, and we sat and talked for a long time. And um, one of the things that she said, she says sometimes she had to get him down to um, the doctor, and their home, no matter what you do, is, is stairs. And with Scott, it's just really hard. And she says, I didn't know what I was going to do, how I was going to get him out of the house. And I said, well, because you're going to call us, and then we're going to come help you. And, um, and I says, and I mean that. No matter what happens, you call. She says, thank you, Roseanne. Just, you know, kind of how you always do. So Bob and I got into bed last night, and then um, about 10.30, my phone rang. And I thought, well, that's odd. And I answered it, and it was Nancy. And she said, um, they've taken Scott to the hospital. I'm up here. I need you. And I said, I'm hanging up. I'm getting my clothes on. I'm coming. And anyhow, as we're up there in the hospital waiting, we started thinking of what we could praise God for. And we said, you know, it started when I had to sign up. That's a bunch of us that play bonco. We signed up for a day, and I signed up for a Saturday, which is not normally what I would do. And I signed up for Saturday. And then I went up there. And she says, if you wouldn't have said, call me, no matter what, I wouldn't have called. But I didn't hesitate at all to call you. And she said, I need to ask you, if we go to Swedish, will you take me? And I said, yes. And this is at 1.30 in the morning. <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, I wonder if I'll even make it back for church. <laughs> but those little things, we started saying, wow, it all started with signing up for a meal. It was all in God's plan. I signed up for the meal. I went up there. I said three simple words, call us. She did. We got her car up to our house. And then when they decided that they were that Central rejected them, that she had to go to Central, I mean, to Swedish, she says, will you drive me? And I said, yes. And, um, and then they, she was able to fly, so we got her on the airplane at, with Scott at 2 in the morning this morning. And, um, and we just sat there and praised God because he had orchestrated every step of the way. And I said, out of all of this, we have a praise to say. So. I just wanted to say that um, last week I took my daughter back to school. But in that week, as much as I love her, there was times when I was wishing she was still there all summer. <laughs> um, but in that week, we had some amazing conversations. And she told me, that she doesn't necessarily believe in God, but she does believe that there is something greater out there. Which is huge, because she's never expressed that to me at all. We were able to have conversations about finding peace and looking to something beyond what we are, to find that peace and to get through anxiety and everything else. 
my daughter is a changed individual, and I can only say that's because of God. She might not recognize it as him, but boy, do I do. And um, she's doing so amazing. She calls me every single day. One, because she doesn't have a roommate this year. And two, because she wants to. She wants to share. And it's so powerful. So thank you. I got a Clarissa in the back. So um, I had surgery this summer, wasn't what I had planned, um, and it just reminded me that I'm not in control, which I hate, but um, I remember this is my first big med medical anything and being very scared and probably a horrible patient, um, and I was sitting with my life group the night, or a couple nights before I had surgery, I remember Glenn just asking me, what are you afraid of? What are you not believing right now? And I was like, I'm believing that God's not big enough. Um, and so my life group prayed with me, and I can't say that my fear went away, but I feel like God met me right where I was, scared and all. Um, and the surgery went better than I thought. The recovery went better than I thought. And... Although I wasn't great at resting in him during my recovery, um, I just felt his presence through the whole thing. And so even though it wasn't how I planned my summer, it um, taught me a lot about um, just how near God is always and um, just how Scott said he just sympathizes with um, fear and what I was feeling. Um, so yeah, I feel like he's still teaching me things through this, but um, he already taught me a lot. 